Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, the editor of Toolkit. My guest today is writer-director Darren Aronofsky, talking about his new movie, Mother, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. And, you know... Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris? Uh, well, yes, there's a whole cast. There's a whole, there's a whole wonderful cast. And this week's episode of the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast is brought to you by TriStar Pictures and MRC's film, Baby Driver, written and directed by Edgar Wright. The film follows Baby, played by Ansel Elgort, a talented young getaway driver who relies on the beat of his personal soundtrack to be the best in the game. When Baby meets the girl in his dreams, played by Lily James, he sees a chance to ditch his criminal life and make a clean getaway. Baby Driver is nominated for the SAG Award for Outstanding Action Performance by a Stunt Ensemble in a Motion Picture and a Golden Globe for Best Performance in a Comedy Musical for Ansel Elgort. Baby Driver, for your consideration in all categories. I'm thinking about, you know, I only saw it last night how to describe it. It's, 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 and, you know, actually, your quote here is actually a good way to start. You know, Mother Begins is a chamber story about a marriage. At the center is a woman who is asked to give and give and give until she can give no more. Eventually, the chamber story uh, contains, uh, you know, can't contain the, the pressure boiling inside, and it becomes something else. And that something else is, is like no other movie I've seen. Mm. <laughs> and it is... Something movies always are never intentionally made comfortable for the audience, <laughs> but this one, you know, Anthony Bourdain said it was like a poke in the eye. I, I, yeah. It was a real rallying of the cage, and yeah. and very intentionally. I'm wondering, for you, who are some of the directors or some of the films when you think about that of that ability to like rattle your cage or take? Because you clearly want us out of our comfort zone. You want <laughs> us. The world outside has come storming in, and I'm wondering what what for you is like. Is something when you think about cinema, the ability to do that, or is it even other art? Is it music? Is it? Well, it's a big question. Let's start with film. I mean, I, I'm definitely very inspired by 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 music and by singer songwriters because they have the luxury of um, you know being able to turn one emotion into a song in an afternoon. You know, not that they all do it that way, but uh, and and as filmmakers, it takes us two three years to get a emotion to the screen. Um, so I, I love listening to music and also music is often l touched by less hands because it's usually just a musician and themselves or with their band mm -hmm. and that's it you know um, you know filmmaking there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of ways to move so it, it, it's much more of a collaborative exercise um, so as far as purity of vision um, you get a lot out of music I think um, Film-wise, you know, I, I, I guess probably my tastes start very early, you know, when I stumbled into She's Gotta Have It at a local uh, movie theater in Brooklyn, not having seen anything like it, and my taste immediately went towards that way. I've always had very alternative tastes. I've always, like, sort of leaned that way into what's the underground. You know, hip-hop was just starting when I was a teenager in Brooklyn, and it was like you know, trying to get information about it. There was something really exciting about it. And, you know, getting that new Eric B. and Rakim album before everyone else did and getting the mixtapes and all that stuff was, was a big part of how, you know, I started thinking about art. And then um, film, film I, I definitely went down the path of, you know, you know, Cronenberg and Polanski and Kurosawa and Fellini and all the European influences were, were and, and Asian influences were a big influence. Um, but also, you know, there was uh, these theaters in Greenwich Village. We used to take the train in to see these theaters, these movies we weren't supposed to see, which was like Clockwork Orange and Stop Making Sense. Mm -hmm. And um, that was always like 
the underground, the cult film, Liquid Sky, all these films that um, you know were supposed to, I guess, be cool, but I, they really kind of got me excited and 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 moved me in different ways. And you know, I always talked about when I first made Pie, my dream was to have a midnight show in Greenwich Village with it. And and so I think my tastes have always leaned into those types of, of films, which often are polarizing um, and different. Um, but I think. It's just my taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Cronenberg and the Clockwork Orange the, and, yeah. and, and the Polanski—that definite kind of uh, wanting, not only how to capture that intensity, but also not allowing an audience to be kind of comfortable and, yeah. and kind of move right forward. Seems it, you can feel that in particular. Well, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, my mentor Stuart Rosenberg always said you have to make them laugh, cry, or scare the shit out of them. That's uh, you know, and so. I think keeping audiences on the edge of their seat is our job, you know, especially in today's world when in cinema we're dealing with people, you know, on two or three different screens at one time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all guilty of that when we watch TV at home. You got your phone, sometimes you got your computer, and there's a piece of entertainment that someone put their heart and soul into. So you got to make stuff that is you know, makes you want to watch. And I noticed like at that first viewing that Tony Bourdain was at, you know, I saw it, you know, it was the first time I saw it with public audience and some guy went out to the bathroom and you know, that always happens and it doesn't really bother me. But actually in this film, it's like if you walk out, you're gonna miss something because it's so linear and everything builds on top of it. And even all the red herrings and all the misdirections and stuff are all like connected to each other in this weird dream logic. And I could just imagine leaving this film and you walk back in and go, what happened? <laughs> and the person next to you like, what? Because, you know, my pet peeve is I'm very gullible in movies when I watch movies. I don't really think ahead about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not kind of trying to figure it out. I get Second time you get analytical, first time you let, you have, you let yourself Yeah, out. Yeah, basically I just go for the ride. Even the second time. I mean, if it's a good film, I just get in the moment. And, you know, you'll always have that friend who leans over and whispers in your ear, oh, this is this is what's going to happen. And you're just like, shut the <laughs> hell up, man. You know, but I promise you, it's kind of spoiler free, this mm-hmm. film. Even if you know what happens, yeah. you're just not going it, to, it's, it's going to be hard. It's just going to happen in a way you're not expecting. And th- this film does have um, some, you know, some of that Aronofsky kind of like clockwork like precision to it, but it also is a movie that is in constant motion and feels like one yeah. kind of uh, dream like motion. And one thing I think you, uh, you know, is there's an element of something you did on this film that I don't think you've done in other ones, which was this this prep. Like you went to a Brooklyn warehouse, right? And you yeah. basically, I mean, first with, with your two leads, but then. Yeah, yeah with Michelle and Ed um, and Donald Gleason. And then even yeah. shot some stuff, right? Could you talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about that process and why that <coughs> was important for this one? Well, I mean, it was, it was for several reasons. First of all, I, I think my favorite process of filmmaking is working with actors. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you work, you know, for two months with actors every three years. Um, So I kind of was like trying to cheat and be like, oh, we're going to rehearse for three months. But to be fair, you know, I wrote this script really fast. It was this five day fever dream where I pumped out the script. But a lot of the symbolism and a lot of the scenes and and the whole architecture and the kind of dream logic was in it. But character was something I knew we were going to develop with the actors. I mean, I, I, I understood the allegory of the film and what the characters should be doing, but I wanted to turn them into real people with real emotions. And I think sitting around with the actors in this warehouse out in Brooklyn with 
the house taped out on the floor, kind of Dogville style. So there's like a floor plan. So there's a floor plan. Yeah, and like even like the, the we had the staircase in there, and when the actors got to the staircase to walk up, I made them like walk with their knees up high to make believe they were walking, and I made them walk. You know, because I wanted the camera to, I wanted them to get a feeling of moving through the house because the house is such a big character in the film. And I wanted the, um, you know, cameraman to try to figure out how we were going to deal with those challenges. Um, and then for the last two weeks of that three-month period, we got all the actors there together. And without hair or makeup or costume or a set with walls, we shot the entire, um, we shot the entire film and then I had my editor slap it together and we had like about a hundred and ten minute long cut of the film and that we were able to watch and I remember I showed it to the entire crew and most of the crew just saw it there blurry-eyed because it was very hard because there were no walls there was no mm -hmm. costumes but I think it was a useful tool it was definitely a useful tool for me and Maddie because we were able to figure out because the camera is so moving around so mm -hmm. much as soon as it settles knowing what side of the line to be on was very important because that would then trigger the next shot and what line we were on. And sometimes we'd end up going down a few shots and run into a dead end. We're like, oh shit, we really should be on the other side because what's behind Javier in this scene is much better from the other side. So then we would have to backtrack four master shots to figure out how to get there. I don't know, that's kind of abstract, but I hope you... No, I understand. Because the other aspect of this is that um, subjectivity is really important in this film. And it's it, all subjective. And it's, you know, we're with the Jennifer Lawrence character the whole time. And which I think when people see the movie, they can completely understand that choice. I don't, I don't, that, that's, that's a pretty obvious one. But to do it the way you did it, though, which was tight, I think mostly handheld, right? All handheld. All handheld. We tried to use Steadicam uh, to go up and down the stairs, but we ended up scrapping it. Mm. But I mean, this idea of being with her, but being with her in the sense, I mean, in the sense, we've seen movies with, with houses before, you know, you could, you could do something with, you know, establishing her in space, use point of view shots. You want this very, um, not only move, movement, but also with her, yeah. you know, physically close to her. What, what was, is that something you kind of knew going in or is that something you kind of figured out in the warehouse? Is that... No, I think it was always the from the writing. It was like I was telling the movie of Mother Earth. I was telling um, the f uh, the story of people showing up and people sort of um, how they treat her, you know, without really being aware of her. Mm -hmm. um, that was always the intent, and I wanted the audience to be in Jennifer Lawrence's character's head the entire film and to go through that experience. So from the beginning, I was like, we're making a full subjective movie, more than I ever have. In Pi, you know, I sort of started playing with those ideas, mostly because I had no money and I had one actor. Mm -hmm. um, Requiem for a Dream interested me because suddenly, oh, I had four actors with different point of views, and suddenly I could do things like split screen to sort of express different subjectivity. Um, but then I moved away from it in The Fountain. The Wrestler was much more like a faux documentary objective mm -hmm. study of the character. And Black Swan, I started to lean more into it. Um, Noah was much more of this biblical kind of objective film as well. But then I really wanted to try my hand at a full subjective movie so that all the sound design comes from her point of view built out of the house. All the sound design, in fact, a lot of it comes out of sounds she makes. Like we made creaks of the house out of Jen Lawrence's voice. Mm. We made, um, you know, all these different type of twisted, warped noises, all from from Jen's breathing and stuff. 
Um, and that was just, you know, to try to really put the audience through this experience of uh, that, that Jen's character goes through. And what's interesting is um, in that subjectivity, though, there was an element, I think, where score became almost too much, right? Like exactly. where it, it was, there's one thing of being subjective and experiencing the movie through her, it's another thing of sometimes when score is really good, it can, it can connect, it, it, it can dictate emotion, right? Is that, was that something? You know what, just you talking, I've been talking a little bit about this, but you're, you're actually kind of triggered an idea, which is like, score is objective. It's like the filmmaker coming in and saying, feel this emotion. You can't really create music that, uh, you know, it, it, it can help with the character's emotion, but it's an outside force because it's not from them. Me and Johan Johansson spent months working on a score, and he wrote the most beautiful music, and we recorded some of it even. But every time we put it on the film, it, it just something happened that was really weird. It wasn't enhancing the film, and it had nothing to do with the music because we tried many different experiments and different ideas. And we're like, oh, yeah, that helps a little bit, but it wasn't really... And he's also so perfect because he uses sounds in a way that... Unbelievable. In a way that could be part of the sound design. Sound design separate. Which we ended up using. I mean, yeah. there, are there were a lot of elements that he created that we ended up putting into the sound design. But, you know, you can't really... Anytime it went into musical vibe it like kind of lifted out of the film. It had to be something that was organic to the house. So like creaks of the house and creaks of the boiler, sounds of the boiler and sounds of the wind chimes. That was the only thing we could use to be expressive because they were things that were happening in the actual environment. And ourselves, you know, if you're alone in a house, suddenly a creak on the staircase becomes a lot louder than when your family is there mm -hmm. or something. So. We were just playing with that and the subjectivity of that. So at some point, Johan leaned over to me and was like, man, you know, the film isn't going to hold music. And for me, it was terrifying, that idea to go out there naked. Because um, your movies have always had such a strong Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been addicted to working with a score since I started in film school. I, I, you know, would have a, you know, I was the only guy in film school who had a composer. You know, mm -hmm. everyone else used Beatles songs or whatever. I was like finding a local guy to play a bongo for me for my student films because I, wa I, I always feel like the composer is like, you know, like a cinematographer, like a production designer. It's a major department that adds a tremendous amount to film. So this was the first time when it just didn't really make, make sense. Mm -hmm. um, trying to talk around this, but maybe maybe not. Is, it, is, is that as the film progresses and the, and the outside world comes in? And I'm thinking back to this warehouse in Brooklyn and you trying to figure certain things out. How much of these transitions, these rapid transitions of what happens to the house, and I, sometimes it's a cut, sometimes it's a pan, yeah. and it's like we're in something completely different. And yeah. it's hard. Part of that's lighting, production design, but but how much of that? Did you say sometimes it's a is it, is it, some, is it so, sometimes it feels like it's like a, a, a pan and a cut, right? Or, or is it always? Oh, I mean, we did continuous, we connected everything. You connected everything. Oh, yeah. So there connect, there's no cheats. There's no cheats. There's no <laughs> cheats. That's why there really isn't. I mean, we really, we never really put like within POV pans, like mm -hmm. cutting to something else. Like Jen walks from one setting to the next. Now, we didn't have that whole thing going on the whole time, but we basically always had the room that she was coming from mm. and the room that she was going to happening. Okay, so, yeah. And the room she was in. So we could always, you know, we were always, um, you know, moving through the house and, and keeping, like, one side of the house alive. 
How much of, I mean, some of that is, 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 is the actually working with your, your heads of department and figuring yeah. out how you're going to do it, but in terms of from a filmmaking standpoint, that idea that, you know, how quickly you can make those transitions or what would work, is, is this something where mm. in those five days of fever writing, because you saw it that way and because you're filming in a certain way, it has an internal logic in your head, you're going to be yeah. able, to, able to make it work? Or is it something where you really actually had to figure out where, how, how well, some of those things were going to well, work? Well, the fever dream evolved uh, and because we had to, because of the complexity of the filmmaking, it might have been technically the most difficult thing uh, me and Maddie and uh, me and Maddie ever did together. And I think, you know, bringing in Phil Messina and bringing in, um, you know, Danny Glicker in costumes uh, and, and Judy. Well, you know, Judy's been with us. But really, it's like it's very similar to the sequence in *Requiem for a Dream*, where the apartment splits apart and the mm -hmm. fridge comes alive, um, and then also in *Black Swan*, when you know the, the paintings on Barbara Hershey's walls start to come alive and she starts to turn into a swan. Um, I like that doing that in film. That always gives me the giggles because mm -hmm. it's just fun to sort of slide out of reality mm -hmm. and go into madness. But this is a 25-minute-long yeah. sequence of insanity after insanity after insanity just trying to outdo ourselves and take the audience to this fevered pitch without music so um you know we had a good time but it took a lot of technical work to figure out how to do it and so we were even working on it when the house was built and we were shooting we would after work we would have the department heads and the stunts come together and actually walk through it. And I think I pull, I called an audible um, halfway through, um, it, which was um, the Kristen Wiig scene when she gets in there. I don't definitely do this after because <laughs> the Kristen Wiig yeah, thing right as a surprise is great. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a whole different scene with her, and I was like, no, that's wrong. And I because we had gotten to a certain place, and we actually. We actually, um, I'd have these diagrams of the house and I would sort of see the whole movement through the house and I was staring at it and I realized we weren't fully using the house enough for the different rooms. So I did change direction during, at one point during it of which door she went out of and what she would see in that room. Um, so, and, and I think also when we got into the physical space, it kind of dictated how we were going to stage certain actions and stuff. This is all a build, right? It's all, it's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, there was. It, it's interesting. We built the house twice. Uh -huh. um, I was really resistant to shooting the day exterior, day interior stuff um, with green screen because I, no matter, Maddie's a genius and would have done a good job, but it's never the same. You as can also what, feel that world outside. Yeah. And, and you're accessing that. Yes. You, you, it's part of it. And it, we wanted um, we wanted that realism to bleed into the beginning to ground people. We didn't want people to feel they were in an alternative world. And so we built the first floor of the house out in a field 40 minutes outside of Montreal and shot all the day scenes. And then <coughs> we went to a stage and built the three-story house um, on a stage for all the night sequence. Uh -huh. And in terms of those transitions, I, I imagine you tried to do as much as you could practically, or sometimes did you have to, did you have to do some, some CGI for some of that stuff? I mean, we, there's a lot of practical work. Mm -hmm. The big, big, uh, the big secret of the film is that there's actually more visual effect shots in this film than there is in Noah. Really? There's 1,200 effect shots in this. But they're sm subtle things. Right. 
they're not like um, nowhere on the scale of the stuff we were trying to do in NOAA. They're little things, like sometimes um, the camera is slightly in the wrong place and I'm digitally moving the frame around a bit. And there's a lot of that work going on in this film because it took us 53 weeks to cut the film. And the reason it took so long for me and Andy to do that, Andy Weisblum, was that th we had no wide shots. Yeah. When we got to the edit room, we had no inserts. And that's the secret of editing. You cut out, you know, something's not working, you cut out to a wide shot, you can reset. If the actor has moved a little bit or emotionally they change, you go out to a wide shot, you're fine. That's why there's always a wide shot. We shot no wide shots. And so Jen had to be making sense to the audience every beat. If you cut back to Jen and she was dead or she was emoting in a way that didn't make sense, you lose the audience. Mm -hmm. um, so to, and Jen gave us all of that, but sometimes certain things at that moment weren't exactly right and we had to shape things to make it, make it feel that way. My sense is that that you've been in the midst of this, the making of this film pretty intensely, pretty much up until maybe like last week. Last, <laughs> last week. I tweeted <laughs> out when I finished it, which was like I think a few days before I left for Venice. And, and with and with this film, it's also it, you've had some of your films have had some great success, and they've built an audience. You mm. know, uh, I'm thinking in particular Black Swan and, and and Wrestler. That's one of those ones yeah. that you know get talked about and, and start to grow. Especially with this one, if it, because it is, um, it does it does feel like such a poke in the eye, and you are just emerging from this post world, and it's boom, big festivals, and then yeah. and then Friday, this people will be listening to this after, but in two days you're about this is this is a big rollout of something yeah. like that. What is this experience like? Because I imagine with this film, this is something where this has been so in your head, you've been so creating, and then to get all this reaction and to put this out, is it is it? It's got to be a little bit different for this. Yeah, this I is mean, a, this I isn't a film that. You know. Yeah, I, I I think it's good. I think it's a type of film that, um, you know, is creating a bunch of noise, and it's all different types of noise. And I, I'm hoping you know the curiosity is going to drive people to see something very very different. But were those initial reactions for showing it, to, or have you been? Do you have a close group of people that you're showing things to throughout? And well, yeah, I mean, we always knew we were making a film that was very punk rock. That mm -hmm. was a, you know, we were throwing a punch at the audience. We were, you know, and uh, there are people that are going to totally dig that and want to go there, and there are going to be are, other yeah. people that are going to be like, whoa, what the <laughs> heck is that? But you know, there's young people out there that go out partying all night. They're going to have a better time at my movie than going to see it. You know, I think right now things that punch and that thing break break out have in and grab, I think, have a, I think that this film might We'll see what happens. Yeah. You know what? I got to make <laughs> the film I wanted to make, and it's out in the world, and you can't control everything. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, all, there's so many things going on. I mean, we're dealing, you know, I mean, you, things like It Happen, which is like, you know, the week before, which <laughs> is great for cinema, and may be good for me, and may be awful yeah. for me. I don't know what it is to be in the shadow of a $115 million film. Um, it and then you have things also like tra travesties happening around the world, you know, mm -hmm. like Irma and 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 um, and Harvey, and you know, you're trying to sell a film while you're also thinking about, you know, people. I have a lot of friends in Florida who are coming up for the premiere, and they're not coming. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking to them and trying to cheer them up, and you know, they're showing me pictures of the holes in their roofs, and so you know, there's uh, you just you just make it, you put it out, and you sort of. You, you just hope people dig the film. 
What about the process with this one? This one seems as if it was, I know there's a certain amount of precision, there's a certain amount of time that you, that you, that's on you getting ready for these things, yeah. but in general, this film went very quickly. Yeah. And, I, and part of that, it seems like it, it stems from your creativity, but it also seems yeah. like something, the pieces fell, like Jennifer Lawrence fell in place, yeah. you're able to move quickly. Yeah. Uh, is, is this something where, uh, I don't know, but I know there's been a lot of false starts with some big projects. There's, you know, I feel like the list of films that we were hoping for from you is, is you know, these things where you, you jump off. Is there, is this something where, if you, now that you've made one this quickly, is there, what would be like the ideal turnaround for you in terms, are you, do you feel like you're someone that like, forget about constraints, forget about studios, forget, is this something where like a film every two years feels about right, it feels like about like what, I think or do you need more time? One, I think a little more than that, I'm not that fast. I think, uh, I'm just a little more careful. Even with this one, we were careful, um, but I wanted to shake things up. You know, we've been doing the same thing for a long time, and I wanted to try a different process to see what would happen with the team if we did something where we there wasn't so much pre-production, if we were a little bit more rock and roll about it and just be like, you know what, we've been doing this for a while. We know we like to push each other. Let's try to make something crazy, and let's just see what happens in the world, you know. Um, and and that was that was it. I think it's important to shake it up. I mean, I, I talk about something that was really inspiring to me was actually uh, Alex Gibney's documentary on James Brown, Mr. Dynamite. Mm. Did you check that out? Yeah, it's yeah, fun. yeah. It was great. But there was a moment where his band fell apart and uh, he went electric and then suddenly, he, you know, funk came out and Bootsy Collins and all that. And like, that was very inspiring to me. It's like to shake things up and just keep moving forward creatively and to take risks and do different things. That's... I think that's what keeps you young. Is this a process that you'd like to repeat? Uh, do I don't want to repeat any process. No, but I meant I meant, I meant the, the more fast speed, the, the speed, yeah. the punk rock, the, the yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know, right now, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I just want to. I want to relax and chill out for a little bit and just you know just sort of let it settle and you know it's it's kind of like when you. The way we finished this movie, it was such a rush because the studio pulled our release date up by a month. They wanted us to go to the festivals and just come out big and see what happened. And I was all game, but it just meant that I've been working 20-hour days for a month all of August. I, I didn't have a summer. All of August was like 20-hour days, literally seven days a week for, for five weeks. I mean, that was, that was August. We finished. I had maybe a day, two off, and then I was, you know, I had to go get a suit for Venice. It was insane. So, <clears throat> you know, I'd like to take a break. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a little traumatized by the whole thing, and I just sort of want to relax for a little bit and, you know, catch up on Rick and Morty season three and <laughs> Game of Thrones season seven. I mean, that's really <laughs> what I want. And the deuce is coming out. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of relaxing to do. All right, Darren. Never mind. Hold on. Never mind Naked and Afraid XL <laughs> season three. But there you go. And Darren, Darren Aronofsky, October and November, binge watching. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much and congratulations Thank you, on the movie. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet Great you. Great conversation.